0: Hi, it's great to have all you here today. Uh, Welcome to all the first-time guests and welcome to church family. It's great to have you here. Um, And it's an honor for me to get to preach to you today from this uh, parable, one of the arguably the most famous of all of Jesus' teachings. Famous because um, we so clearly see the love of the Father, and if we're wondering what God is really like here, we see it on full display. But I think it's really relevant for us today, not just for the content of the parable itself, but for the setting. We had those first couple verses read, um, and so we see the sinners who are all gathering around Jesus. They're the ones who everyone would agree that they're not following God, but here they are flocking to Jesus. And the Pharisees are there too. They're the religious leaders, the ones who definitely do follow God, but they're upset, they're complaining about Jesus being so welcoming to the sinners. And so Jesus responds, he tells them a story about themselves, right? So he tells them about a man who had two sons. The younger one is like the sinners and tax collectors because they left home. They left the morality and tradition of their family. They went out and engaged in wild living. And then there's the older son who's the, who represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They follow all the rules, but they end up upset and complaining. And they both want to know whose side is Jesus on? And I think that that's, sounds familiar for us today, partly because uh, it's typical for the, the older son to be the like, rule follower, the people pleaser, the parent pleaser, obeying all the rules, and the younger son is typically your more free-spirited, um, rebellious type. But also, it, 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 whatever sides we find ourselves on, we want to know what side Jesus is on. Is he on our side? You know, is he, is he progressive or is he conservative? Did he vote Brexit or remain? Is he working class or middle class? Is he, is he on my side? And that's what the, the Pharisees and the sinners are thinking. And who's right? Well, it turns out neither of them are right. Jesus isn't really on either of their sides. He doesn't say to the sinners, you need to straighten your life out. But he doesn't say to the Pharisees to just lighten up a little bit. He tells the story really to show the amazing love that the father has for both of the sons. And so today we're going to look at that radical love of the father, particularly from the perspective of the experience of the younger son. And then next week we'll look at the older son. But if you've ever related to the younger son, if you've ever rejected God or gone your own way, which is all of us, then this is for you. I hope you see the radical love that God has for you. And so that's and there's a wonderful thing about stories like this is no matter how fantastical or how old they are, you can always find see a bit of yourself in the characters. And so I want to look at the story today kind of like uh, scenes in a film or acts in a play. Um, So let's look now um, at act one, the betrayal. So look down with me at verses 11 through 13. jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living so jesus jumps right into the story he says there's a man with two sons so first of all there's two sons not just the one that we usually talk most about but two sons, and they both kind of show the father's love in in their own unique ways. And right off the bat, the younger son tells the father, give me my share of the estate. And in the very next sentence, we see why, because he wants to go off to a far country and spend it on wild living. He believes that the father's keeping him from the life that he really wants to live. If only I could just get out from under the house of my father, then I could, you know, I'd have it made. And Jesus doesn't really describe the wild living, but the word means something like wastefully extravagant, or he overindulges in, in sensual pleasures. Later on, the, the older brother accuses the younger son of, of uh, wasting his money on prostitutes. But we can assume that's just one example of the things he's done. But remember, the story is to teach us about the father. And, and what's more appalling than, than the wild living is the way the son treats the father. Look down at verse 12. He says, the younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I don't know if that sounds too shocking to you. You might be thinking, you know, this title, the betrayal is a bit intense for that. Um, But I think the context is really important here. In in this time, that request would have been shocking. In a a patriarchal society like this, the, the, the inheritance does pass from the father to the sons. So he's not wrong to expect an inheritance, but the inheritance doesn't pass until the father dies. So for the son to come and say, give me my inheritance while the father's still alive, it's, it's like he wishes he was dead. It's like he's saying, I'd be better off if you were gone and I could just have my inheritance. It's like saying, father, I, I want your stuff, I just don't want you. I like, I like all the benefits of this relationship, but I don't want the relationship with you. And you can just feel the disrespect. The wild living that comes later, that's just what it looks like to be free from God. But before that, the root of all that sin is in this attitude towards God, this betrayal. He's offered love and relationship, but he throws it back in the Father's face. And then the Father actually gives in to his request. Look look at verse 12 again. So he divided his property between them. The original Greek word says he, he divided his life between them. So it's like how we say, we use the term um, to make a living. There's kind of a double meaning there. It means he divides his property, but it's more than just property. It's, it's everything he's built. It's his, everything he's, you know, his family has built for generations. And so to divide that between them is like dividing his life. And today, you know, you could just you could Venmo or like you could do a bank transfer and it's just money that's represented by numbers that represents our wealth. But for them in an agricultural society, his wealth is in the property that he owns and the the livestock. So for him to divide his estate, he's got to go to the town square and in front of everybody, he's selling everything he has and everyone knows it's to enable this rebellious son So he divided his living, it, it breaks his heart, it's like it tears him up inside. And I wonder if you ever think of sin that way, as a relational rejection of God. Oftentimes when we talk about sin, we talk about the specific things, the wild living, the morally wrong things we do, and, and that's true. But I think here Jesus really wants to emphasize the relational rebellion, the, the slap in the face that we do to God it's before the you know the gambling addiction or pornography or the affair or the lies or whatever the sin is it starts with that attitude towards god that says i think i'd be better off without you i appreciate the gifts i just don't want life with you do you ever think of sin that way it means that sins even more offensive than just breaking rules and and we have more than just a morality problem like a debt to be paid but we also have a relationship problem that's been broken with God and needs to be restored so let's look down now we're to act two the letdown this is what what it really looks like to be free from God look down at verse 14 with me after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I'm sure this isn't how he expected it to go. What does it really look like to be free from the father, be free from that relationship? Well, first off, he's hungry. You know, imagine when he set off, he had had all this wealth. He could go to the nicest restaurants, eat as much as he wants. But then a famine comes and he squandered his wealth and he ends up longing to eat pig's food. Then also he's enslaved. You know, when he left the father's house he's so excited about being free to get to, you know, be the master of his, his own life, make his own decisions. But here he ends up hiring himself out and being a slave to someone else. And then lastly, he's alone. When he left the father's house he's looking for sexual liberation or relationships just with no boundaries but look at how his relationships end up it says no one would give him anything he's literally in the mud with the pigs which is one last picture of how far he's fallen because pigs are unclean animals for the jews and even though he's left that life behind it's still a picture of of the shame that he's carrying a reminder that he can't go back he's too unclean the shame's too deep so he's longing, enslaved, alone, and ashamed. And here we see what it really looks like to be free from God. I think, I think we can all relate to some extent how, how sin tempts us to think, maybe God's not really on my side, maybe he doesn't want what's best for me. Maybe I'd be better off on my own. But here we see those lies exposed. We aren't better off on our own. And freedom from God isn't freedom at all, this is where it leads. So let's look at how the son responds. We come to Act 3. He makes a plan. So look down with me, verse uh, 17 to 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He came to his senses. I think that's a great phrase, a great moment. I wonder if you've ever had a coming to your senses moment. There's a Pixar film called Monsters Incorporated. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's set in the monster world, so the monsters who hide under your bed or hide in the closet. And in the monster world, their city, Monstropolis, is powered by children's screams, which sounds really horrible as I explain it. But it is a kid's film. And so one day, a a human child gets into the monster's world, and and Scully, the head monster, he actually gets attached. He starts to care about this little girl. And there's a scene later on where he's lost the little girl, and he's trying to find her, and he's desperate. He's panicking. He's looking everywhere. And he gets pulled into this uh, scare demonstration because he's the best scarer. And he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't have time. He's looking for the girl, but they're pushing him into it, and he's getting frustrated, and he finally loses his temper, and he does the demonstration, and he goes, it's you know much scarier than what i just did um but he's done this a hundred times before but this time he sees (laughs) but you guys weren't scared i I thought it was pretty good um yeah this time he sees himself in a monitor that's been recording and it's like a freeze frame and he sees the he sees the roar he sees the snarling and in the background's a little girl that he cares about and she's just terrified And Scully sees it and he's like, oh, no, what am I what have I done? He comes to his senses He's like, this is this is terrible. What are we doing? And that's what happens to the son here Who knows how long he's been in the situation in the pit with the pigs? But something about this day, he comes to his senses. Maybe he catches a glimpse of himself You know in his rags and the filth and you know about to eat the pigs food and he's like what what am I doing? This isn't this isn't what I wanted How did I get here? What have I done? And that's the first step in his repentance. It's it's like coming to your senses. This isn't what I want. This isn't who I want to be. And look, he he takes responsibility. He says, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've sinned against my Father. I've sinned against heaven. And he decides to humble himself and go back to the Father and apologize. And he's going to try and make things right. And I I spend a lot of time thinking about this repentance this week. um, Because when I read it, 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 I wonder if he's really learned his lesson, or is he still just thinking about food? You know, he says, he's so hungry. Uh, my father has food back there. H- has he really learned his lesson at all? Or is he still just using the father for, for food? And as I was thinking about it, I wonder if that's the exact question the Pharisees would be asking. Because you think about it, they're probably loving the story at this point. You know, they're, they're hearing about how the younger son, who are the sinners and tax collectors, you know, they've done so wrong. You know, their sin is leading them to the pigsty. Um, and they're all just nodding vigorously, loving it. And then the son comes to his senses. He's going to come back and apologize. And they're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe if he comes back really groveling. You know, I like what he said about, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. That was good. So maybe he can come back and be, be a servant and learn to live like us, like the older brother, because that's what we all need. And I'm, of course, I'm speculating, but that's because I, I know what it's like sometimes to think like a moralistic religious person. And people often think that Jesus was just a moral teacher, but if he really was, then that's how the story would go. You would expect that to be the lesson, be like the older brother, but that's not it. The whole story is building up to this climax of the father's radical love. That's the real surprise. And so I do think, I think the son's repentance is genuine because he gets up and he goes back to the father. But I think his, his repentance is incomplete. He's only got half the information or maybe it's better to say he's only got half the motivation because he's, he's thinking just about his hunger and his food. So he's like, he's over here and he's looking at the, the pig's pit. He's like, I know I don't want this. What have I gotten myself into? I know there's some food back at my father's house. I'll go do that. But the whole time he's just looking over here, he only knows what's bad. He doesn't yet really see the greatness of the love of the father over here. So he's making his decisions just purely motivated by like the negative. He doesn't know yet. He hasn't tasted and seen the love of the father until he goes back to him and how true that is for us oftentimes like if, if we're christians we're trying to motivate ourselves in the christian life by saying well don't sin sin's bad and we're just looking over here and we forget to look at the amazing love that god has for us but let's look and see what it's like when he goes back to the father we come to act four the climax look down with me at uh, verse 20 through 24 so he got up and he went to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be worthy, worthy to be called your son.' But the father said to his servants, "'Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again.' He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's so much about this amazing love of God, but I just want to draw our attention to a couple things. First, let's, let's look at this radical, radical compassion that the father has. It says, while he was still a long way off, I think that's like a phrase to memorize, while he was still a long way off, the father didn't wait for the son to get his life together, clean himself up, or even get all the way home, or or even apologize, while he's still off in the distance, still covered in the shame of his sins, the Father has compassion on him. And I wonder if you've ever, you know, told someone something that that brings you great shame, like if you share something from your past, not just something you find embarrassing, but something like deep shame, like if you've you've come out about being same-sex attracted, or um, opened up about some abuse or addiction or something, it's really terrifying thinking what is this person, what's their initial reaction gonna be? What, what's the look on their face gonna be? Are they gonna be angry or like disgusted or disappointed? When the son comes over the hillside and he's covered with his shame, the father's initial reaction is he's filled with compassion. the father's not sitting on the porch like with his arms folded you know waiting for the son to get there he goes and he runs to him and Middle Eastern men at this time don't really go running like that they got to you know pull up their robe and they run and look like children and then he falls on his son's neck and he kisses him it's undignified It's, it's over the top it's like unfiltered passionate love I think oftentimes our society tries to make us feel better by minimizing our sins. And so they say, you know, don't worry about the mistakes you've made. It's not that bad. You just learn to love yourself. You know, you're you're perfect the way you are. And that kind of feels good, but it just doesn't work when you've been in the pit with the pigs. When your shame's more than you can bear, what you need is what Jesus offers here. He doesn't minimize the sin. He actually has said that it's worse than we really think it is. And then he looks right at us in our worst moments, in our deepest shame, and he's filled with compassion. Have you ever thought about what's God's facial expression look like when he looks at you? What's the look on his face? It's it's compassion, it's love. Even when you're still a long way off, he looks at you with love. The next amazing thing we see is his radical grace. And grace is a word that we use a lot as Christians, and and that's because it's an essential word for us to understand. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. So the son has it right when he comes back and he says, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. He's forfeited that right. And his plan is, I'll become a servant and then I can, you know, start to work off my debt. But the father just interrupts his speech. Like, don't you love that part? He doesn't even let him finish. The son's been rehearsing it for days and he doesn't even get it all out. The father's not interested in hearing how he's gonna pay him back or make things right. The father offers this forgiveness, this restoration, all as free gifts of his grace. Not because he deserves it, because the father wants to give it. Totally free and unearned. He says, bring out the robe and they put it on him, they cover his rags and his filth. He says, put the ring on his finger. He's restoring that relationship. When you come to God, you don't make up for the wrong things that you've done. You don't try and pay for all the bad things or restore the relationship yourself. You receive his love and forgiveness and restoration, all as a gift of God's grace. And then finally, we see his radical celebration He says bring out the fattened calf let's have a feast and celebrate the father's joy just overflows to the whole house you know like we saw if you were here last week we looked at the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and when they find them they call up their friends and you know i guess they don't call up their friends but they call up their friends however they do um, and say come over you have to celebrate i found what was lost and that's what the father does here it's not just he's not just happy about it in in himself but he wants to share it with everyone else Let's have a feast and celebrate, because my son who is dead is now alive. He's back. And just think back to the pit where the son was before. He was was hungry, longing for pig's food, and now he's at the table feasting with, with food to spare. He was alone, and no one would give him anything, but now he's with the father who just gives lavishly. And before he was serving a harsh master, but now he's got a restored relationship with a father who loves him. And this is the life that God wants for us. Not that we earn our way back to God, but that we receive his love and forgiveness, the compassion and celebration, all as gifts of grace. So I wonder where you find yourself in the story. Where do you see yourself? Are you in act one where you feel resentful against God? Maybe wondering if you'd be better off on your own? Are you in act two where you're living wildly and hoping that there's no famine that comes or the money doesn't run out? Or maybe you're in act three, maybe you're in the pit and nobody knows about it, you know, deep in shame or trapped in some addiction. We'll turn to God today, not just because sin is bad and life without God is bad, but because look at the life and the love and the compassion of the Father. If you turn to God, he comes running to you with compassion, with open arms, ready to celebrate. And if you're in act four, if you feel like, if if you've accepted Christ and you're part of the celebration, be reminded of that great joy we have and the way God feels towards sinners who are far from him. He loves them and he's filled with compassion. So if you aren't a Christian, you've never known this love that God has for you, and you'd like to turn from sin and start new life with God, I would love to talk with you more at the end of the service. I'll be up here, Mark will be up here. Um, we'd love to talk more. But for now, let's, let's respond to this, all that we've seen here about God's love. Let's respond as we sing together our next song.